Welcome to We Got Goals, a podcast by asweatlife.com, on which we talk to high achievers about their goals. I'm Gina Anderson-Cohen. With me, I have Kristen Guile and Maggie Umberger. Good morning, Gina. Hey, Gina. Good morning. Kristen, this week you got to speak to Caitlin Smith, who is the founder and CEO of Simple Mills. That's right, Maggie. I got to chat with Caitlin Smith, who has been a friend of A Sweat Life for a while, and it's been so exciting watching her company grow from when she first founded it back in 2013, while she was still working as a full-time consultant at Deloitte. It was really interesting and inspiring to hear her talk about how she would wake up at four in the morning, bake for a few hours, and then go right to her full-time job. And yeah, I think we got a lot of great information out of her from this interview. And we've talked to Caitlin a few times just through the years and seeing the company grow, but this is really the first time we've heard her talk about how she's really introspective. Can you speak to that? Yeah, so Caitlin is a self-described introvert, which I always think is really fascinating for people who are entrepreneurs and CEOs who she also mentioned she's in meetings, you know, 70 to 80% of her day. So I was really interested to hear how she balances that side of her personality with being such a forward-facing public persona. So we got to talking about what helps her recharge from being in front of people all the time, always talking, always in conversations. And I think the tips that she offered for how to recharge as a business leader who's an introvert will be really helpful for our listeners. Speaking of being a business leader, she was one of Forbes 2017 30 under 30 business leaders. So she just came back from an incredible trip to Israel, and you got to speak to her just off of coming home from that trip. Yeah, so Caitlin was one of Forbes 30 under 30 last year, and one of the perks that she was offered is that another company sponsors a full-blown trip to Israel for anyone who's graduated, so to speak, from the 30 under 30 class. And this company covers everything from airfare to hotels to experiences. And Caitlin was talking about how amazing it was and how they kept blowing her mind with all the different experiences that she and I think it was roughly 80 other people got to have. But when she and her other travelers were asking the trip leaders, you know, what's the catch? Why did you bring us all here? The trip leaders were simply saying that they wanted these business leaders of the present and of the future to realize how much power they truly have when it comes to changing the world. And, you know, she quoted the old Spider-Man line, the with great power comes great responsibility. And I thought that was really interesting because Caitlin started Simple Mills, she said, to change the way people eat, which is not a small feat in and of itself. But now after this trip, it really seems like she's thinking much more globally about how she and her company can impact the world in ways beyond just how we eat and where we grocery shop. And it's important to note that what Simple Mills makes is baked goods and sort of the Betty Crocker-esque products that are gluten-free and made out of whole foods and whole ingredients. And as someone who eats gluten-free, it was incredibly impactful for me because I haven't had a cheese it in years. And Simple Mills has a, a product, a cracker that's just like a Cheez-It. So can you talk a little bit about why she started down this journey to make this gluten-free whole food option? Yep, you'll hear the full story in the interview, but she was suffering from things like joint pain and seasonal allergies, and she was trying to think of different ways that she could remedy herself and different ways that she could eat and live her life so that she could feel the best possible. 
So that's really how Simple Mills started. But she, this wasn't her only idea. She, at one point, she said she brainstormed 10 different ways that she could change the way the world eats. And Simple Mills was the one that stuck. So it's a really interesting story. And I think people are going to love this interview. We cannot wait to hear it. Here is Kristen with Caitlin. Hey, stick around. At the end of this episode, you'll hear from some real-life goal-getters who will tell you the goals that they've achieved and the goals they're going after. Yeah, I said I'll be on the road. I'll be back. I'm just reaching for a goal. So don't be upset when I'm not... Welcome to We Got Goals. My name is Kristen Guile, and I am here with Caitlin Smith, the CEO and founder of Simple Mills. Caitlin, how are you? Doing great. Thank you for having me. No problem. We are super excited to have you here on the podcast. We've had you on a panel to speak before. We've featured you on the blog several times, but this will be the first time that we really get to sit down and hear your story in an audio sense. So we're really excited. First of all, let's start off with the big goal that we ask everybody about on this podcast. What is a big goal that you have worked towards in the past? Why was it important to you? And what did you do to get there? Yeah, so that's a, that, that will probably be a pretty long answer. I think starting Simple Mills was a huge thing for me. So I started this company about five years ago. So around that time, I cleaned up my diet. I took out a lot of the processed food, a lot of the sugar. And when I did, my joint pain went away. My seasonal allergies went away. I had loads more energy. And it really shocked me because I, growing up, I, I think I learned about, okay, food affects your, your weight. It affects your digestive system, but never did I think that food could affect your immune system or that the other things that we're learning about now, like anxiety, depression, cancer, all of these things that we're seeing skyrocketing rates of. And it was just stunning to me that food can affect those things. And so once I learned that, I felt a, I felt like I had to do something. Like there was just no option about it. It's funny because sometimes people ask me like, oh, how did you decide? Like, how did you know if you were going to start it or not? And in my mind, there was no option. It was just like, I have to do something about this. And so I actually went home one day and I brainstormed 10 different ways that I could impact the way that people are eating and what they're eating and how many kind of whole foods they're eating. And it ranged everything from going and getting my master's in public health to starting a natural food company that would help change what people are eating. So it was the natural food company route that I went. And so the whole idea for Simple Mills is starting this food company that makes all of these kind of traditional things that you love eating, that are convenient to eat, that are tasty to eat. And instead of making them out of tons of carbs and sugar and processed ingredients and things you can't pronounce, making them out of things that you actually want to be eating more of, like almonds or coconut flour or sunflower seeds, but putting it in that same like recognizable, like shape, texture, flavor. And my my thought with that, and, and I think what I've seen over the past five years is that by doing that, you're able to slowly change what people are eating so that it's not just okay you have to go and follow this like this polarized diet of gluten-free or paleo which our products are but instead it's here's a product that here's a way to like eat eat really great food without necessarily sacrificing the convenience or the flavor or what have you so yeah I mean the the big goal is changing what people would eat and changing the expectation of what people eat the second thing that I'll say about that is that when you change what's out there and, and I I really didn't I, I kind of underestimated this in the beginning but when you change what's out there you change the average 
of what's out there. So when you look at the shelf now in Whole Foods or in Jewel or in Target or Kroger, which are all places where we're sold, we've raised the average of what's sitting on the shelf. And so what that means is that other players who are sitting on the shelf also have to change their game. And so if consumers come to expect, okay, maybe this shouldn't have so much sugar or maybe this shouldn't have uh, as many processed ingredients, then other players will change what they're doing as well. And so I like to say that a rising tide raises all boats. And so part of our mission is not just changing what our consumers eat, but changing what our competitors' consumers eat as well. Thinking back to when you first had the idea for Simple Mills in 2013, now we're super used to seeing things in the grocery store aisles like ice cream alternatives or dairy-free milk or gluten-free everything. But that wasn't the case when you first had the idea for Simple Mills. Was that an advantage or a disadvantage being kind of a outlier in the food industry when you started? I think that we came in at just the right time. I think that if we had come in three years earlier, it might have been too early. Because what really happened and the reason why we why we see that today is there's this general awakening that's happening that's happened um, with me personally and, and has happened with a lot of our consumers, which is that people are realizing that the food that they eat affects how they feel and what they're able to do on a daily basis. And this has been in large part enabled by influencers, by people talking online about their diets. This has been kind of something that's come about at the same time that kind of this entire influencer community and uh, people researching, well, what if I what if I try this? What happens? And, and researching it for themselves versus relying solely on the advice of a healthcare practitioner. And, and so I think that without that trend next to kind of putting our products on the shelf, I'm not sure that it would have taken quite as quickly. But now that people are making that association, it's been it's been a lot easier. Let's go back a little bit. You said that when you brainstormed these 10 ideas that you could change the way people eat, one of them was creating a natural foods company. Were you into baking and cooking growing up, or was this just more of a whim that you decided to act on? <laughs> yeah, no, was not into was not into baking growing up, which I feel like is a very unpopular answer to that question. But it it really goes back to the determination and the belief that this needed to happen. I was and will do whatever it takes to to make this idea possible. And I think that that's one of the things that you know you talk about goals or starting businesses. I think that there's just a lot of determination and discipline required to make any one of these ideas a success. And so it takes um, doing the things that you that you don't necessarily want to be doing. So like, for example, I, I'm an introvert. You wouldn't guess it, but I'm an introvert. And I, I hate cold calling. It is like the worst, worst, worst thing to do in my mind. <laughs> I got chills just hearing you say that. It sound, I'm the same way. It sounds like the worst punishment somebody could give me. Yeah, exactly. And so like for the first year, I actually had to assign an entire day per week to cold calling. And, and I think that not to say that baking was like cold calling, but it wasn't a passion of mine. But I I probably went through 90 different recipes just to get the first iterations that tasted really awesome on the market. You do what it takes to make it work. When you had the idea for Simple Mills, you were working in consulting and that had been your background for a while. How did that help drive you in creating Simple Mills? What traits could you develop? What skills had you learned that helped you when you decided to get this business off the ground from a side hustle to a full-time job? 
Yeah, so I don't think I would be here today, or at least be where we are today, without my background in consulting. It was just such a fantastic place to start my career. So I started as a management consultant at Deloitte and was there for for three years. I think, one, it taught me a lot about hard work, analytics, what it, like, just general professionalism, like basic skills that it takes to be a a successful CEO, honestly. There's, I I will say that there's other things that I've had to learn on the other side in order to scale past the first point of the business, but I think consulting really got me through the first stages where it helped me attract investors because I, I had my stuff together. I could develop a model. I could figure out what my cost of goods was. I could figure out a supply chain. So it gave me a lot of, like, the business the business fundamentals. And at some point, you decided to go back to business school to learn the things beyond the fundamentals. What was it like running a company and going to business school at the same time? Yeah, so I about a year into into the business, I well, I guess we were just starting in our first stores. Yeah, so when we were starting in our first stores, I started at Chicago Booth to get my MBA. And it was, I started out as a full-time student, and the business just kept getting busier and busier and busier. I think what became really important was having a clear prioritization of what mattered. So I think that a lot of people go to business school and say, like, I'm going to start a business while I'm in business school. And they try to do the business 100% and they try to do school 100% and the social component 100%. For me, it was the business gets number one, period. And then anything else on the side, that's that's good too. <laughs> it's a bonus. It's a bonus. And so I went from taking three classes to two classes to one class. And then that last class, I think I attended about half of the actual classes themselves. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not to say the program is not amazing because I learned so much in that short time I was there. But I, I really had to focus on the business. And so when it came to, I need to make a customer phone call versus go to class, it was customer phone call every time. Last year, you got a really exciting honor in 2017 when you were named to the Forbes 30 under 30 list. What was it like getting that phone call? It, it was really incredible. I just couldn't believe it. A lot of things a lot of things in building the business are very humbling because it, at the end of the day, like I think that if I had looked at somebody on the Forbes 30 under 30 list five to 10 years ago, I would have thought, oh my gosh, and put that person like up on a pedestal. But I think through this process, you you learn that the CEOs, the entrepreneurs, the, the people on that list were all just real people. How did things change for you and Simple Mills after that award? It made it, it, made it a little bit easier to get press, but I don't think there's... This goes back to this other theory that I don't think there's any one thing that makes or breaks a business. It's really easy to look at things and say, oh my gosh, this is going to be the thing that makes it or this is going to be the thing that that breaks it for us. And that actually creates a lot of stress as well. But I think that businesses are made by a million tiny good decisions and just netting out on the positive end of that. So you'll still make bad decisions. You'll still have bad things that happen or things that you at least perceive to be bad things. But it, there's a, a bunch of tiny little things that have to go right. You were telling us before we actually started recording that you just got back from a really exciting trip to Israel. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, yeah. So I was out there with 85 Forbes 30 under 30, I guess, winners from the past couple of years. We were there with an organization called Schusterman, and we were we were traveling around all over, all over Israel. We went to the Syrian border, the Jordan border. We spent a lot of time in Jerusalem, and we had a we actually had a guide the entire the entire trip who was telling us all about the complexity of the region and and 
just it's really stunning because I think that it's really easy to look on the conflict in the Middle East and and kind of simplify it from over here and also to say like oh that's just you know they have conflict we don't have conflict we're kind of a in a way, we kind of look at it as we're above that. We're like, oh, no, we, we know better than to have that level of conflict in our country. But I think what what really, there were two key realizations for me on that trip. The first of which is there was that what we have today, we can take for granted really easily and things can change. The other thing that I really, that I really thought coming out of that trip was just how not simple conflict is. And for example, in the Middle East, like how much the conflict is connected to personal identity and and even like the soil itself and the, the land itself. And it's just very easy to say like, oh yeah, all it takes is like a peace treaty and somebody can just come in and work that out. But even as we're establishing the embassy in Jerusalem and it's causing this upright it you can see just how not simple it is is it, it's not as simple as drawing lines and and boundaries but just really such a phenomenal trip I was sharing that they Schusterman actually pays for the entire trip which is just stunning the entire trip we were sitting there asking so what is the catch what is the catch why why do you bring us out here and and they said really for two reasons one for you to understand the complexity and for that complexity to color the decisions that you make, the the degree to which you impact the the world. And, and, and the second is you guys are all poised to make a, a really positive impact on the world. And with great power comes great responsibility. And, and that's so go out and do amazing things. No pressure. <laughs> yeah, no pressure. Well, with Simple Mills, though, you had already had a big vision in mind to change the way people eat. Was it interesting to think about how you can change people's lives outside of your products? Yeah, I think for I think for me, my lifelong mission has always been to to leave the world in a better place than I found it. With everything that I do, I think for right now I see so much potential for Simple Mills to impact the food space, which I consider extremely important. It impacts everything that how we feel our personal relationships. For example, if you're more anxious, like how, how that's going to impact your personal relationships, your personal happiness. I think that there's so much there and there's also so much left for us to bite off and chew. So first of all, going to focus on that. That's my disclaimer. But I, I do plan on doing more things with my life than, than just Simple Mills as well. There are a lot of a lot of problems in the world and a lot of problems to solve. And I think that if you have like the energy and the, I guess like the resources to impact the world, you absolutely should. And, and really take advantage of all of the people who have invested in you. The, this brings up another point, which is there's this experiment out there where they put two people in a room to play Monopoly and they give one person more money and another person less money. And we'll just use money as a, as an, analogy for now but more resources and they have them play the game and inevitably the person who had more money coming into the game wins the game and they always ask the person who won okay so why did you win and they always point back to oh I made this particularly great decision here or I got really lucky with that roll of the dice but they never point back to the fact that they started the game with more resources and so the interesting lesson there is that we kind of overlook the role that that resources play and how people arrive at their at their destinations and so particularly if you're sitting in a place where you've had a lot of people who have invested in your education who
who have invested in in your learning, you have that much more responsibility to use those resources and and to kind of bring other people up and along and and invest in other people. Who invested in you early on? Not money-wise necessarily, but time and energy and support. Oh my gosh, there's been so many people that it's like you can look back to so many people who have who have changed the way that you operate. I mean, it even started certainly with with your parents putting in just like so much time and effort. I do remember this point in time when I was in high school and my mom looked at me and she said, "You're going to do you're going to do great things." And I think that was actually a self-fulfilling prophecy. I don't think necessarily that I was going to do great things, but because she believed in me and believed that I was going to, that I felt like I had to. So I think that's one. I mean, I also, I, I think more recently, another another one has been one of my mentors. So I met my professional coach. I guess I was about a year into the business and we instantly clicked and I realized that she just had such a phenomenal understanding of people and how people operate. And I said, I have to work with you. I, I, I don't understand these things very well. Let's, let's work more on this. And so since then, she's actually been my coach and now is a coach for our entire 35-person team. But I think, I think working with her, and we can talk more about this, but I think working with her has really helped develop me into a leader who can lead a team of 35 versus lead a team of four to five. But again, there's just been so many people throughout my history that I can look back on. I'm really curious about this professional coach, especially since you have a background in management consulting. Were you just super aware that this existed and this was something you could benefit from? Or how did you find out about her even? Yeah, I had no idea that that really existed. And actually, at the time, she wasn't even a leadership coach. She was an operations consultant. Today, she has a a very large leadership consulting practice that works for a number of entrepreneurs here in Chicago and in other cities. But I think there's, I had a, I had a business school professor who said that being an entrepreneur is one of the most downwardly mobile professions that are out there. <laughs> That's encouraging. <laughs> very encouraging. Yeah. So, I mean, I think going in knowing that is actually really helpful because it helps you realize that you shouldn't take being the CEO of a company for granted. That just because you started the company doesn't mean that you stay in that role and that many, many entrepreneurs don't make it because you have to grow super quickly. So where if you were in a large corporation going from managing, you know, two people to 10 people to 20 people to, you know, maybe 100 people might take a number of a number of years and career moves. Like that might be a 10-year shift. You're making those shifts super quickly as an entrepreneur. And so you need something to help accelerate that learning or you just might not make it. And so when I met her, I realized that she had the the capacity to accelerate my learning. And and so that's why I started working with her. You're getting a crash course, it sounds like. <laughs> yeah, there's something to be said for, I still believe that most things that you learn, you learn off of your mistakes. But there's something to be said for learning off the first time you make the mistake versus the fifth time. Well, we spend a lot of time on this podcast talking about your successes and goals you've achieved. But what was a time when you failed? I think for me, the greatest failures in this business have been failures as a leader. They've been places where I've come home at the end of the day and thought, you shouldn't have said that, or you shouldn't have said that that way. And knowing too that you impacted somebody else's day, 
those are the toughest places because you can't really take it back. You can only move forward. There's been times where, you know, you call somebody out in a meeting and, and you know that that wasn't the best way to handle it, for example. And the only thing that you can do is learn from it and say, there's a reason why this happened and I'm not going to do that again or I won't do it this way again. And then you move forward. You've also mentioned being an introvert, just even on this podcast, yet you traveled with a bunch of strangers to Israel and you're the CEO of a 35 person company. What do you do to sort of give yourself that time to recharge when you're spending all of your day in meetings, talking to people like me, talking to the press, all of that? Yeah, I think the I think the recharging is super important. And actually a number of my entrepreneur friends are also introverts. It's quite funny that we were like this class of I'm sure there are extroverts out there too, but we're this class of people who do spend their entire days talking, yet their their preference is not to. I think First of all, making sure that you allocate sufficient time for thinking. And so I have a couple things that I do to make sure that I fit that in. The first is I love flying and I love sitting on a plane because no one no one talks to me while I'm sitting on a plane. There's nothing to interrupt me. There's no phone calls. There's no text messages. I can sit there and I can stare out the window and think about what problems we need to solve or how to solve those problems. Another is taking decently frequent but short vacation. I like to think that vacation, if done right, is is actually something that helps your job versus versus hinders it. And so I'll take, for example, a long weekend to somewhere in Arizona where I'll go hiking. I'll spend time reading reading books that help develop me professionally and personally, and develop the way that I the way that I see the world. And and so then as a result of that, you can kind of create faster learning cycles so that you can learn from the things that you're doing a lot faster. So I might take a particular concept. So, for example, one concept that has required a lot of continuous work on my part is this idea that perfectionism is not on the excellence scale. So I need to hear more about this. What does that mean? <laughs> it's that it's basically that if you create a, a spectrum of from not excellent to excellent, perfectionism doesn't exist on there. And I, I think growing up in consulting, or even a lot of corporations believe this, there's like this belief of no defects. So if you make a mistake, it's not okay. And, and so then you live your life trying not to make mistakes versus trying things out. And what happens when you try things out is, is you do make mistakes and, and it's okay. Sometimes, or a lot of times you learn from those mistakes and, or you figure, you figure out something that you wouldn't otherwise, instead of spending your time optimizing something that doesn't need to be optimized. And, but this is like, this is like a, a lifelong skill. This isn't a, okay, just get the concept and all of a sudden it's in place. It's that you have to try it, work on it, go back, relearn it, and then continue to iterate on the concept for um, to, to really get it. And so then I'll read books on this topic and then go into real life, try to apply it, and then next time I go on vacation, read more books on it and recognize where, I've, where I haven't quite lived up to it and figure out ways to do it better moving forward. That idea of embracing mistakes as learning opportunities, is that something that trickles down to your team at Simple Mills? Yeah, we've actually <laughs> we've actually done entire trainings on perfectionism. But part of I mean, part of it there is we are a very we're a very high achieving group. And so we actually did we did studies on on our levels of perfectionism and our levels of perfectionism are actually higher than than doctors going through Harvard Medical School. Wow. 
So that's a problem. Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh. Again, not on the excellent scale. Wow. <laughs> that is crazy. Yeah. And so we've had to, we, we've put a number of things in place to say, okay, it's okay to skin your knees. It's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to come out and, and say something, even if it's, even if it's in the end, not right. And so really embracing, embracing failure and saying that's okay, or embracing it when somebody goes out on a limb and, and not quickly shooting down the idea or saying no and making it a little bit more comfortable to be wrong. All right, let's end with the other question that we ask everybody else who comes on this podcast. What is a big goal you have for the future? Why is it important to you? And how do you think you'll get there? So I... I, I am so incredibly passionate about about changing the way that people eat. It's it is a huge mission for for me and and Simple Mills. I think that there's still so much that needs to be done here. We've we've made such great progress in the past five years. So we're in we're in about thirteen thousand stores. We are the the largest natural baking mix brand, the second largest natural cracker brand, which is which is really neat to see. But I feel like we're just at the tip of the iceberg. There's so much more that we can be doing in terms of brand awareness and getting our products out there. But even more than that, I think there's so much more that we can be doing to to really change the way that people are eating and helping more people eat simple ingredient real food. And so while I won't completely share exactly how we're going to get there, I think my mission is really democratizing real food. And there's a lot more up our sleeve. What do you mean by democratizing real food? Making it something that, that's accessible to a lot more people. In terms of accessible grocery stores, price points, just it being there in general, all of the above? All of the above. Making it easy. Making it so that having real food in your pantry is a, is a common occurrence. Well, we can't wait to see how you get there. I know we'll be keeping our eyes on you for the next few years to come and beyond. So, Caitlin, thank you so much for being on We Got Goals today. Thank you for having me. Girl, I said I'll be on the road. I'll be back. I'm just reaching for a goal. Don't be upset when I'm not around. Hey, goal getters. Cindy Kozmuth, co-host and producer here, just popping in to let you know that we are about to play another one of your goals. That's right, a goal that was set and crushed by one of you, our listeners. This one was recorded during one of our live sessions at the Hotel Moxie, and we also recorded a few more at the Michelob Ultra Fitness Festival at the end of Sweat Working Week earlier this month. Start thinking about whether you have a goal you'd like to share with us too. Soon, we're going to have a way for you to send in your goals, and you could appear right here on this very podcast. In the meantime, thank you so much for listening, and here's our next real life goal. Girl, I said I'll be on the road. I'll be back. I'm just reaching for a goal. So don't be upset when I'm not. Tell me your name again. My name is Jose. Jose, yeah. it's good to meet you, Jose. Jose from Chicago. Jose from Chicago, yeah. Jose from Chicago. Okay, tell us, Jose, either about a big goal that you reached and how you got there. Okay or about a big goal you have for the future, uh, one or the other? Um, so I guess the biggest goal that I have reached already was I joined the military when I was like 18, mm -hmm. uh, Airborne Infantry, and I made it back in one piece. So that was a good goal to have. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So where did you where did you go? Um, I was stationed in Anchorage, Alaska, mm -hmm. um, and I deployed to Iraq for 15 months, and I was in Afghanistan for a year. 
Oh my gosh, wow. So how did you do that? You know, I mean, obviously some of it is just being in the right place at the right time, but um, you know, what do you think were some of the things that led to you having a successful military career? Oh, definitely um, the team that I was on and the people that I worked with, um, working in a team and being able to get each other's backs like that, um, definitely protecting each other when you're not looking um, helps for survival. Mm -hmm. um, and also just all the training that we did, like constantly training all the time, all the time for every possible scenario that you could possibly imagine. Mm -hmm. so. Wow. And does that training and that experience, I mean, so how long have you been back now? Um, I got out in 2010, mm -hmm. like late 2010, yeah. And I've had actually, now that I think about it, every job I've had outside of the military has been like in the service industry, like restaurant or bartending or something like that. Uh -huh. So like working in some sort of team capacity, I guess. So yeah, and like yeah. you have to think on your feet and be prepared <laughs> yeah. for anything and react yeah, yeah, to what's yeah. going on around you. So yeah. I'm sure that training serves you really well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for your service, yeah. uh, first of all, yeah, and of congratulations on <laughs> on being here and, and on your new job here at, yeah, yeah. at the Hotel Moxie, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for for sharing your goal with us. Well, really thank appreciate you. it. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> thanks. Yeah, I be on the road. This podcast is produced by me, Cindy Kuzma, and it's another thing that's better with friends. So please, share it with yours. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and while you're there, if you could leave us a rating or a review, we would really appreciate it. Special thanks to Jay Mono for our theme music, to our guest this week, Caitlin Smith, and to Tech Nexus for the recording studio.